Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jamie Dixon. For more great content, visit klcmain.com. All right, Isaiah 6, you there? All right, I'm going to read this, uh, and then I'm going to tell a story. Um, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet, with two he flew, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doorway were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs, uh, from, uh, with, with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sins have been purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Come on, would you put a hand on the person next to you? Heavenly Father, we just pray. God, that we would have a visitation with your spirit of burning this morning. God, that you would set our hearts on fire. And, uh, and God, I, I ask you, Lord, that you would, uh, Lord, that I ask you, Lord, for the person to my right, to my left, for myself, God, that you would make prophetic sense of seasons that we've been walking through and what you are saying now in this hour. That our hearts would burn with understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, Back in uh, April and May, I was really encountering the Lord uh, in this in this um, passage, and I thought I I, re- I thought I was prophesying like I just kept teaching out of it, and um, and I, I thought I was prophesying to everybody else. I didn't know I was prophesying to myself. And um, anybody ever done that? Like, oh man, I've got a word for all of you guys. It's actually a word for you, you know. I was really encountering the Lord in, in this passage and. In May, uh, my family and I, we, uh, you know, uh, before the pandemic, we were traveling to the United Kingdom about five times a year. Um, we have really strong connections over there and, and um, help. we've been helping train and raise up leaders of worship and prayer um, all over uh, the United Kingdom. We've, we've pioneered some stuff in, in Ireland and um, outreaches in Scotland. And, um, and we go and we, we help start, like, basically prayer rooms. Uh, it's called the Burn 24-7 and uh, that, that launched into something called David's Tent, which is a na- nationwide worship event that goes up for a weekend. And they do 70 out, 72 hours of nonstop worship and prayer with like 3,000 on fire Brits. And, um, and so we've been, we were going over like five times a year. And then when COVID happened, of course, like you couldn't go anywhere, right? So um, it, it shut down, things changed. And I'd been on Zoom calls kind of coaching all these leaders and since uh, COVID, I haven't actually gone back over where y- the UK really felt like another home for our family. And, uh, and so uh, we were going to do a leadership conference. I got invited to come to a leadership conference this past May. And so I thought, man, I want to bring my whole family. And so I bought my kids tickets and I bought my wife a ticket. And, and uh, I thought, man, we need to get our family back on that land. Like we have an inheritance in that land. Did you know that the Appalachian Trail where it ends in Maine, it continues on the border of England? Did you know that? The soil samples of the coast of Maine are the same soil samples as the coast of England. Because when the tectonic sh- uh, plate shifted, out Maine touched the United Kingdom. 
And so there's such a familiarity of the things that we contend for here. When I am there, I feel like I'm here. And the calling on my life was to, to, to dethrone things in, in you know, in uh, New England and to pioneer and plant churches in New England. I find that's the only other place in the world where I feel like I'm actually still in my assignment when I'm there. Isn't that strange? And, um, and so anyway, so I was like, I got to get my family over there. We need bonbons. We need... Uh, we need tea and crumpets. We need we need, we need it. You know, like I we got to get back over there and hug some necks. We love these. This is our family, and so I, I booked my family all tickets, and and I decided let's go a few days early, and uh, you know so that we can go and you know do our favorite stuff in London for two days before we spend the next four you know doing this conference. And so it's coming up the week that we're about to leave, and uh, and uh, all, all my kids get this stomach bug. And um, which if you know my wife, it's like she'd rather have leprosy, you know, like the stomach bug and everyone's puking. And I mean, it's just, it was an absolute mess. And we're like, what are we going to do? We're about to put kids on a plane for like 11, 12 hours of flying. You know, do we have to cancel the flight? Like this is, this is nightmare scenario, you know, the worst bu- uh, stomach stuff. And uh, Shannon and I were fine, but it looks like they were getting better within like 24, 48 hours. Fevers had broken, you know, like... Sheets are dry when we get up, you know, that stuff like that. And, uh, and so we go, okay, I think we're nearing, like, we're getting out of contagion mode and we're going to be able to make it. And so they were fine. Levi was the last guy we were monitoring, and it all came up to the wire, super stressful. Everyone's good. We get on that plane, and when we, we go to check in and get our tickets, um, they had changed the airline, like the plane. And because they changed the plane, the seating arrangement changed, and they split our family up. Which if you have three kids, like you're, you're like, who's going to take Levi? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> my wife already stressed, completely stressed out of her mind about the stomach. But I was like, I'll take Levi, give the girls iPads, just sit in the back. I'll sit up here by myself with Levi. We had this kind of like, like big um, empty space in front of us where he could lay down. And, um, and so it was, a, it was a red-eye flight. And so we get there. We get on the plane. We're separated. I finally get this dude to sleep, and I make him a bed on the floor, right? And, and he's just knocked out. We're just, you, you know what, traveling with, with little kids, right? It's just complete survival mode. So he's got a bed on the floor. There, I mean, there's goldfish everywhere, like, and, and, um, and he's got, like, in his hair, and he's just, like, out. And in um, and, and the back of the row, my, my wife had fallen asleep, Hattie had fallen asleep, and Maggie is stirring. She looks over and she sees mom and sister are asleep. I'm going to go check on dad without telling anybody. She gets up and she comes over and she goes, hey, dad, and kicks Levi right in the head. Right? Dude been asleep for two hours and, uh, and it's now 3 o'clock in the morning and, she, and he just kicks Levi right in the head. And he wakes up and goes, dad, and just starts projectile vomiting. And it's dark, everyone around me is asleep, and, and Levi, and now it's in a plane, right? So I don't know what to do, I just grab him and pull into my chest, and he's just uncontrollably vomiting all over my chest. Thanks, man. And Maggie's looking at me like, she goes, oh no, can I have his iPad? All right? She just sits down. 
this dude's vomiting, and I don't know what to do because it's like that coffee, loud vomiting into my chest, right? And so I'm right near the bathroom, so I just jump up, and I run into the bathroom, and he and I both look in the mirror, and he's covered head to toe. I'm covered. Like, my whole shirt is vomit, right? And I'm thinking, what, I, what do we do? Right? I strip him naked, and he's just crying. He's standing there just in his diaper in this little bathroom, and I'm having to, like, give him a sponge bath in the bathroom, and I'm covered in vomit. I, I, I have to take my shirt off and throw it away in the trash can. And, and, uh, and so I'm now in a wife beater, right? <laughs> and, um, oh, oh, and by the way, but my wife, it was so much vomit, it, it went through my shirt, and my wife beater was covered in vomit. But I'm not about to come out with no shirt on. So, so I just start pumping hand soap into my undershirt. And I soak it in water. And I'm wrenching it out. I, put on, I can still smell it. right? But I'm now in a cold, wet, like, undershirt. With a naked baby. And nowhere to go. And so I step out of the bathroom. And I walk to the back row where Shannon is. And I go, babe. And she looks up. She goes, oh, my God, what's going on? You know, in the middle, it's the middle of the night. And her husband's standing there with a wet, like, undershirt and a naked child on a plane in the middle of the night, you know. And, uh, and so I get Levi back to sleep. He wasn't sick. It was just, I think it was just the 3 a.m., you know, just with a really sensitive stomach. Right? He got kicked in the head. I mean, you would have done the same thing. Just, ah, you know. And so Shannon has, has, she has a shirt like this on, right? Like, you ladies call these a shacket? Is that right? She has a shacket on, just like this. And so um, she, she, she takes it off, and she, she, you know, has her own t-shirt on. She takes this off and gives it to me, and I put on a woman's shacket. <laughs> right? This is all I got. And it, it's one of these numbers, right, where it's, you know, it's, right, you button it up. And it's ladies, right? So it only comes to here. And then it, it's, you know, it's splayed out like this. And, and so, now here's the thing. We have a layover in Amsterdam. And, and, uh, and all I have is we have no change of clothes. It's checked on. It's on its way. And, and it's under the plane. And I have no ch- and so I'm like, my, it's like the sleeve comes up to here. The, the buttons are all splayed out. I threw away my undershirt, so you got like belly hair coming through. I mean, the whole gamut. And, and I'm running, and then we get to Amsterdam, and we find out it is, it is a three-kilometer walk with three children to the, where our plane is, and it's boarding now. So we get off, and we're running through the airport with my shirt, you know. And, and now Shannon has one kid, and she's got like, you know, bags. And so I got two kids. In this woman's shirt, we're running through the airport. I load the kids up on the plane. We make it just in time. And then we get there, and we have to get a rental car. Guys, I wore that woman's shirt through the rental car, through every airport. Until we went to bed that night, we get into our Airbnb outside of London, like, late at night. And, of course, now my son, who's so tired, slept through the entire day. Now he's wide awake and screams until 4 in the morning. But guess what? We're going to London in the morning, babe. We got 24 hours, 
and until and then and then it's conference time and it's go right so we're going to london so I load up my family, and we're on trains the next morning. How many of you guys know that we're doing this, but we are not doing this well? <laughs> but we're doing it, dang it. It's like going to Disney World and go, you better have fun, you know. <laughs> so we're dragging these kids, like, through, you know, through the airport, and we're, and, and, and uh, we, we get them on these trains, and we, we end up in downtown London, and, and we, uh, I, I schedule this incredible incredible Willie and the Wonka chocolate factory themed tea party for my kids, right? We get in, we, we, we jump into an Uber to get to this like fancy hotel and, uh, and the Uber ends up hitting a curb and blows a tire. We have to get out of the Uber and like rush to our, to our hotel. We get there and the kids are so tired and they're over their stomach thing, they like can't even eat, Right? And then all of a sudden my wife turns to me and she goes, honey, I don't feel well. I said, okay, but you're going to be fine, right? <laughs> right? Levi, I'm like, it's a fancy place. The girls have fancy dresses on and they're bringing out these like cotton candy sticks with like the most fancy of chocolates and cakes and tea are coming out and, and the kids are being treated like princesses, you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and then Levi's sleeping on the floor. Shannon's like, you know, she's just not at the table. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. She's not feeling well. And she comes out and she's like, I am so sorry. We have to get out of the city right now. Like, I'm not well. And, uh, and, I, and I said, but you're going to be okay, right? Like, and she's like, I need to, I, she's like, we don't have to go home. Like, we don't have to go back to the Airbnb, but I need to be near a car in case, right? And right now we're, we're like three hours from our car because we need to get on trains and everything. So we end up canceling our day in London, and we get in a car or in, in, into the train. We go back to the car, and I'm sitting there. Can, guys, can I just tell you, everything has gone wrong. Like, none of my plans have worked out. This is not what I expected it to look like. And um, we, we were sitting there, and, and I'm like, well, so what should we do? She's like, I don't know, but we have to stay near this car. <laughs> and so I look on the map, and I'm just looking like, oh, God. I mean, like, it's England, right? Let's just go find some sheep or something, and let's go to a pub. Let's get some fish and chips. Like, let's just do something. And so I'm looking, and you know how, like, on a map it has, like, the bigger cities have, like, bigger names? I see, all right, well, within 20 minutes, it's a town called Windsor. And there's a place there called, they have this thing called the Windsor Castle. Now, guys, you call me stupid, but I had no idea what that was. I don't know what the Windsor Castle is, but it looks beautiful, okay? And there's a mile-long walk, and there's, like, elk and all this crazy stuff. I was like, let's go see the Windsor Castle. Did you know that's, like, the royal's home, right? It's, like, the biggest castle in the world or something. It's insane. It takes up half the town. And so... We get there, and we see the castle, and we park a car, and we're like, this is amazing, you know? And, and so we're, we're just walking. We're out of the bustling of the city and, and um, just, just did not plan for this today. And we're just kind of walking, and people are on this big lawn. They're playing Frisbee, and everyone's got their dogs. And, and we're walking, we're getting close to the gates of the castle. There's, there's not many people, you know what I mean? Like, there's, like, it's very, very few people are there. And this, 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 like, short guy comes running up next to us, and he's, like, sweating, and he's all in a hurry, and he goes, I think that was Prince William. And he's like, Prince William! And he's, like, running. Right? 
pavement. It's not right. The dude's running. It's right. And he's running, and, and, and there's, like, this bald guy pushing a carriage. He's like, where's my arm? He's, like, freaking out. And there's, like, ten people outside of this gate, and, the, uh, uh, and, and this, this uh, security guard, like, there's nobody there. But the security guard comes out and says, everybody, you know, move out of the way. And so everyone's just kind of standing like, well, who's going to come out of Windsor Castle? You know what I mean? It, and, um, and so I just made everyone, and Maggie and Harry are like, can we go to Five Guys, please? And they're hungry. And I'm like, let's just see who comes out of the castle. Like maybe a princess will come out or something. Just trying to get them engaged. And, and uh, we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, after like five minutes of waiting, like I said, with 10 or 15 people around, there's not a crowd, this, this Audi SUV starts racing out of the castle. And it comes right by us, and it slows down, and this little old man waves at us, and it's the king of England. <laughs> and he waves at us. And everyone, people are crying, like, it was the king! And people are screaming and freaking out. And, um, and so I, I, turned, I turned to Levi, I was like, Levi, that was the king of England. And he goes, but what about the princess? He was like so upset, he didn't see the princess. And then I turned to Maggie, I was like, Maggie, that was the king of England. This is super rare. Like people, like people have lived here their whole lives and never seen the king or never seen the queen. That was the king of England. That was crazy. And, and Maggie, you know, she turns to, to us and goes, wow, can we go to Five Guys? I have to pee. You know? I'm like, okay. I have it on video. Like I'm like, guys, that was the king of England. And she's like, yay, I got to pee. You know, and so, so we went and we walked through this big, beautiful little town and we, we got... You know, we got, uh, you know, five guys, which is what you do in England. And, um, and, and so, like, an hour goes by, and, and uh, I think we got some, them some ice cream or something. And, and we're walking back. We're like, let's go back to our car. So we go back to the Windsor Castle. We're walking down the street. Once again, like, the whole place is cleared out. There's, like, maybe ten people in the whole, like, mile-long walk. There's, like, nobody there. And all of a sudden, in the distance, you see an Audi SUV come racing back down the, the road. And it slows down. Like, literally, I had to pull Maggie out of the road to not get hit. And it's the king of England again. He just waves at us. And he goes right back in. And, uh, and <laughs> first of all, like, I was talking to all these, like, Brits. And they're, like, they're freaking out because they're, like, this just doesn't happen. Like, this never happens. You never see the king. He's never out. And everyone's, like, telling us that we're liars because the king actually does not drive himself. They're all freaking out that he's just driving a normal car around. And, and so that night I, I was just, I was, I was before the Lord and, and just kind of thinking about our day and just trying to recover from all the, the plans that have been lost. And, um, and, the, and the Lord just quickly spoke to me. He says, hey, Jamie, when everything goes wrong and when your plans get messed up, I need you to know that I have an appointment with the king for you. And this is right in the time that I had been preaching Isaiah 6. And is it okay if we just take a few minutes? I want to break this verse down. I feel like that story was such a prophetic story for a season that I feel like many believers and many leaders are in. Is that there feels like a lot of things that have been going wrong. And there's a lot of things that were not in the plan. But what we didn't know is that God had better plans and that he actually had an appointment with the king. Is that all right? And I, I want to I read this again. Isaiah 6 is in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. You know, King Uzziah was, a, a, was an incredible king. He led for 52 years. It's a whole generation. He, he was a king who who uh, was actually an inventor. 
he actually invented things that would defend the walls of Israel. And because of his, in, uh, his inventions, he actually brought like military security to the nation of Israel. And he brought security to all of, of the people of Israel for an entire generation. They won every war. And it says that he did everything that the Lord had him do except for this one thing is that while he was king, although he fought wars, he made inventions, he advanced their, their, uh, he advanced their military, he brought security, he brought peace and provision. It says that he left all of the high places of like altars were still in place. And he led a successful nation, but didn't tear down the altars of Baal. And, and so you have this incredible king, and, and what you have to understand is, like, any, any historian or theologian would tell you that the nation of Israel was in such prosperity under King Uzziah that he was the king of Israel. That he, he was the greatest king in their eyes. That when they worshipped, they would, they would, like, announce, like, all hail King Uzziah, for he's brought peace and security to our nation. We are a thriving nation because of the inventions and the leadership and the strength. But what they didn't have eyes to see is that he was a, a great man, but he had dishonor and disdain for the Lord in his heart. Because he didn't pull the things that were in opposition to it says that later on, in like later in like at the end of his reign, that so much arrogance of leadership came in his heart that he actually pushed past 80 priests. And to, to prove how, that he was the greatest leader, he said, I'll even do your job. And 80 priests tried to stop him, and he barged into the temple, and he actually lit the, the, uh, he lit the, the altar that only the priests should, should light. And the priests were saying, Uzziah, don't do it. The Lord will reject your offering because you are not a consecrated priest. And he goes, watch me. And he lit the altar. And when he did, leprosy broke out on his forehead. And he was rushed out of the, the temple. And pride be, came before him. And when he died, the nation of Israel who loved Uzziah, now his 25-year-old son, Jotham, he, he becomes king. Now imagine your like great leader has died, the one who is so great in your eyes, the one who is so secure and strong before you has, has died, and now all the nations say, this is our chance, his punk son who has a golden ladle in his mouth, like we get to actually, we have an opportunity that we could actually take the boundary lines of Israel and take back ground. So all of a sudden, insecurity comes on the nation, now Jotham ends up becoming an incredible king. But in this time, all of a sudden, insecurity comes on the nation, and they don't have their king anymore. And the prophet Isaiah says, and in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, and where was he sitting? I saw the Lord, and he was sitting on the throne. I'm telling you right now, if I asked you, if I asked you in that time who's sitting on the throne, they would say King Uzziah. And the prophet, uh, of, of, uh, prophet Isaiah says, in the year that he died, I saw the Lord. How many, how many of you guys know that, that um, sometimes when God is crucifying ourselves, that we call it warfare and resistance. But it's not warfare or resistance, it's the removal of your Uzziah. God wants to kill your Uzziah. Do it in my strength. Lead it my own way. 
break my own ground, secure my own boundaries and borders, do it all in my strength. How do you know God wants to kill your Uzziah? Because, because who's on the throne? Jesus is on the throne of your heart and over your life. He's the king of your life, and he wants to bring us into a right understanding of who the king of kings really is. In the year that your king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, which is just another way of saying that there's no one like him. The train of your robe was actually this like intricately ornamental um, uh, uh, decoration off of his robe that would, uh, that would express his identity. The bigger it was and the more wide that it was, even Egyptians would actually like carve stones with, with work. The bigger it was, was the greater the king was. So when it says the train of his robe filled the temple, it's saying that there's no other king like this king. He is the highest king of all kings. And when Uzziah died, I finally saw God rightly. He is the king of Israel. Enthroned. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each one with six wings. Two he covered his face. Two he covered his feet. And two that he flew. That word seraph literally means burning ones. Charles Spurgeon said... Uh, uh, he said that, that the, the, the divine creatures in the throne room are often called burning ones because the closer you get, uh, the closer you get to the Lord, the, the more you get in his presence, the more you start to burn. And he goes, and the divine creatures that have been called to minister before the Lord are so close to him that they become the seraph, the burning ones. I want to become a burning one. It says that they took their wings and they covered their face, they covered their eyes, and they covered their feet in honor before the Lord. And they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is a prophetic song. Every season of your life has a song. Every visitation throughout scripture has a declaration or a song that accompanies what God, what they're seeing with their eyes. Do you understand why this is so important that we don't just become a like uh, fast song, two slow songs, ending with a fast song, song service church. Do you guys, do you guys realize why it's important that we learn how to sing a, a prophetic song? This is so important. Like I understand you've been born, you've been raised in hymns and Him 49-11, you know, and like we, I I realize you get that, but do you realize that spontaneous song is a biblical thing and, and songs actually will define seasons because there's revelation that can be found in your worship of what God is doing in your life. If you are confused what God is doing in your life, start to worship and see the song that he begins to put in your mouth. And so in this moment, he's seeing God is enthroned, the king of Israel. It, this is who he really is. It's not Uzziah. This is a restoration moment for Israel. Uzziah had to go so Israel could honor the Lord as the king of their nation again. And the angels begin to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it says, and all of a sudden, the post of the doorway was shaken By the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. This is a um, a, a threshold, or are you guys all right? A threshold or a doorway is a transition place. You have to walk through a threshold to go into another room or another place that you need to go to. And so 
a, a doorway, a threshold represents transition in your life. Um, if, any, if any of you, um, not to be weird, but, and, and it's not always, but if you start seeing 11-11 a lot, I would recommend that you ask the Lord, God, am I in a season of transition? Because the ones are like the, the doorposts of transition that you have to walk through. That's free. Um, it's, not, it's not always, but you can ask the Lord, Lord, am I in a season of transition? Because you keep seeing 11-11. Um, and so, uh, oh, shit, is it 11-11 now? No, it's not. Um, much later than that, so I'll be quick. Um, it says the, po- the post of the door was shaken. And, and so how many of you guys know that when we go through transition, we're going through a place where God's taking us from one place to another, it doesn't look like peace, it looks like shaking. It says, in the threshold that I was standing in began to shake by the voice of him who cried out. Nation, the nation of Israel was in a shaking moment. And, and God, the, the, the revelation that he is the king and you are not. He is the king and Uzziah is not. He is enthroned. You are not enthroned. It is him and him alone that's the savior of Israel. This was a revelation that was necessary, but it was only going to be revealed in shaking. I gave this word because I felt like shaking was coming. I'm now giving this word to help you understand where you are now. Because, because when we go through shaking, once again, we often call it, uh, we, we, we often become uh, resistant. And we become, uh, we try to discern the demonic spirit involved. But what you don't realize is that God is taking you to a new place. And he has to shake you in order to get you there. Man, we got to get so much better at, at discerning shaking seasons and open-handedly coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, what are you doing in this moment, in this hour of my life? Like, because, because if you want to discern the season, listen to the song. What is the shaking revealing? Oh, man, everything's shaking. My relationships are shaking. My finances are shaking. My life is shaking. I don't know what's going on. Well, if you would open your ears and hear, I'll tell you exactly what's going on. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. It was that revelation that caused the threshold to shake. What is it about himself that he's revealing to you in the shaking? That he's a provider. He's the king of your heart. That he's the Lord of your life. That you can't trust in man or your own self. You have to trust in the Lord. Calling you out of comfort and safety into taking risk and living by faith. That you're living in apathy and you're feeding on things that you weren't supposed to. And God's calling you into righteousness. He's calling you into alignment. He's calling you into the call of God on your life. He won't let you settle. Holy, holy, holy. And my life starts to shake. You guys all right? What does he say? Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. You know, I've actually been, like, rebuked by people for not preaching sin enough. Um, And, uh, you know, I've taken that to the Lord. But I really believe that the reason why repentance is missing from the church is not because we're not preaching about sin enough, but because the church is blinded to his glory. 
I think repentance comes when we see the burning righteousness of Jesus. And when we see his beauty, we become aware of our humanity. I think when you see how beautiful and radiant he is, your response will be is, woe is me, I am undone. Woe is me, I am undone. I don't think we have to work real hard at repentance for a church that is gazing upon the holiness of Jesus. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know, I think, um, you know, I, I think one of the things that we have to recognize is that we live among a people who are unclean. And as much as we want to live so profoundly heavenly, we've been impacted by the environments that we eat and live and move in. And I think that I love weekends. Like, I, I just, I don't want to not say this. Like, I love weekends like we did because you came out of the world and immersed yourself into a season of gazing upon the beauty of Jesus. And repentance came and breakthrough came. And you, you were extracted out of the world for a moment. And all of a sudden it became glaringly obvious in that place where I need to be healed, I need to be touched, I need to be made right, I need to run from this place, I, I need to run forward into the call of God in my life. Some things were brought into correction. I would encourage you, whenever there's a conference, you know, like, not because we need you there, but because you need you need that moment in your life, I'd encourage you, make the time, make the space, because, because it's not, our, our conference doesn't make it powerful. Your hunger makes the conference powerful. You get what I'm saying? Your sacrifice becomes a place where God sends fire on, he shows up and he meets you there, and, 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 and what, he, what he's saying here is he's saying, I come from an unclean place. But he doesn't say, so God touched their lips. He says, so God touched my lips. We need, we, we need to, we've been praying so much for God to touch America, but we're not praying for God to touch us. Do you realize that Christ in you is the hope that God will receive glory? All creation's groaning and waiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. You want repentance to break out in America, get so holy and righteous, they might not be able to see the Lord, but they'll see his radiant holiness shining off of you, and repentance will come. We're praying for the world. God, touch their lips with the coal. No, touch my lips with the coal. We're praying for all of our enemies. Don't pray for your enemies, pray for yourself. Don't pray, make them more loving. Say, God, may I become so loving that it quenches my anger and frustration with my enemies. God, come on, fix all these problems. They, people wronged me. No, no, no. God, I pray for such an overwhelming compassion to come on my heart that you'd make me a witness to those that have hurt me. He says, I set up a, I set up a, a table in the presence of your enemies. God, I want to feast on your nature in this time. I'm surrounded by my enemies. Don't fix them. Fix me. Touch the coal to my lips. Is that all right? And one of the seraphs, the one of the burning ones, flew to me. I'm almost done having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. You know, I think sometimes the process of shaking and purification 
we can sometimes come out of it um, actually with like a message of disqualification. That if I needed to be shaken, if I needed to be purified, if this needed to be removed from my life, that I'm not ready for what's ahead. But you don't even realize is that the shaking was actually for your promotion. It's because of the call on your life that he's shaking you. Because there's an invitation coming. Some of us are calling it warfare, but you don't even realize it's actually the threshold into your breakthrough. Like some of you guys have been praying. You know, I went through a really hard season once, and it was like, like I, I went through this really hard season actually in the midst of what felt like revival. Like a revival was happening all around me, and then all of a sudden, the craziest things broke out in my life. And I remember calling a really amazing spiritual father in my life, and I said, dude, what's going on? Is this warfare? You know, help me out. Like, God's moving, and I'm, I'm ready for him to go like, oh, Jamie, you must have woken up the greatest demons of hell with all your faithfulness and revival. God's moving. Just keep going. And he didn't say that. He just listened to me complain. And then he said, oh, Jamie, has no one told you about the hidden fruits of revival? And I said, um, well, nope, I skipped that chapter, you know. The hidden fruits of revival. And, uh, and he began to talk to me. He started telling me story after story. He started saying, sometimes when revival shows up, the fire burns so bright, it might be painful, but God starts exposing the cancer that wants to kill you. It reminded me of when I had a, a, appendicitis, and like it, pain was excruciating. And I went into the doctor, and they removed it. A week later, I went in, and they go, I'm so thankful that you got appendicitis because there was cancer all over your appendix. And it's completely gone now, but if you didn't have appendicitis, then you could have had cancer growing through your body. We would have had no idea. Sometimes God will use something that feels like a shaking and painful, but you go, oh, wow, what, what resistance against my life? But it's actually the very thing that's going to save you. It's the very thing that's going to deliver you. Why? Because the call of God on your life is so great that he will shake you in order to fight against the very thing that wants to take you out. Are you guys hearing me? God removed Uzziah because Uzziah was a man who led out of his humanity and his strength, but he left unholy things in place. He allowed mixture. So God took him out to raise up somebody that would actually honor the Lord, carry the same strength, but honor the Lord and pull the high places down. God shook the nation of Israel, but it was actually to put himself back on the throne where he, where he wasn't. And my, my encouragement to us is this, is that I feel like I gave this word saying like, hey, let's just make sense of what I feel like God's going to be doing in this season. There's going to be shaking and everyone's like, okay. And then shaking came, everyone forgot the word. I feel like it's really important that we look back over some seasons of our life and actually say, so Father, what, what wisdom are you depositing in my life? Because I feel like we're in the now who shall go for me moment of this verse. I believe, in the who, I believe we're in the who will go, and there's a people who responded rightly saying, here I am, send me. I feel like that we're in that moment right now, but in order to be there, God wants to break every lie of disqualification off your life and actually bring you into the school of his shaking and so that you would actually walk out with incredibly deep wisdom for what's ahead. Is that all right? Why don't you stand with me? Yeah.